0: 1 Corinthians chapter 14, three chapters left in this book and we'll have tackled another New Testament book going through it, um, exciting exciting times. You can be praying about the next book that the Lord would have us in as a church. And uh, let's go ahead and pray before we get into the word. 1 Corinthians 14. Lord, as we get into uh, just this passage where it shows us Clearly, the purpose of the gifts, the spiritual gifts within the church and um, Lord how they're to function, how they're to be used, specifically tongues and prophecy and and even how this can sometimes be a a, a controversial topic or maybe even something that that people want to shy away from, uh, Lord, we just want to press into your word and have you teach us, and we want to be about what you're about lord and and not leave anything undone. And so just teach us in truth, Lord, and, and things that you want us to be dogmatic about, Lord. Just bring that just power and things where there's freedom or flexibility, Lord, uh, or um, maybe an open-handed issue. Lord, we would just be open-handed today. But Lord, we pray that most of all, Jesus would be seen during this message. Uh, people would long to know their Savior more. And um, and Lord, that people would be edified and built up through this time Pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, chapters twelve through fourteen in First Corinthians are have the theme concerning spiritual gifts. Uh, we've spent probably the last five weeks looking at spiritual gifts. It begins in chapter twelve, verse one, where Paul says, "I don't want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual things," uh, and the context would suggest actually spiritual. Gifts, And we've found over the last few weeks that everybody who's a born-again Christian has been given a gift from the Lord, a radical gift that um, uh, might be something that seems like a natural talent you have, but it's going to be even more enhanced and even more powerful than that. It's going to be something that uh, when you use it, uh, it's an obvious manifestation that the Holy Spirit has shown up, uh, it 's going to be something that 's going to build up the church it 's going to be something that you 're going to use to uh, to serve the local body and uh, and then even the, the church globally and so uh, we 've just been encouraging people during these times to to listen to the sermon and read these sections of scripture that have some lists of spiritual gifts and pray about. Um, you know, Lord, what are my gifts and how am I to use them in the church? And, um, and there are many different gifts and there are many different functions of, uh, of these gifts. Um, and, and sometimes we get prideful about our gifts, thinking that, hey, I'm, I've got this incredible gift that I'm, I can be self-sufficient. Or perhaps you're like, man, the gift that I seem to have, it's a little more obscure, it's a little more hidden, people don't get to see me all the time doing it, so I'm not really that important. And Paul says, hey, both of those are wrong thinking. Whatever your gift is, is incredibly important for the life of this local church. And, uh, and as much as we want to get distracted with you know, how important or unimportant we are, uh, Paul went to chapter 13 and told us, hey, the greatest, most important thing that you should seek, even beyond what gift you might have, is love, all right? It, love is what is, it should be paramount, should be flowing forth from the throne of God into our lives, and then out of our lives into the lives around us. Love is super important, and it's totally seen in the man Jesus Christ in the God-man Jesus Christ. And that's what we looked at last week, the imperative of love in the Christian life, specifically in how we use gifts. And so that's kind of where we pick up in chapter 14 here, where after chapter 13, this love chapter, Paul starts out by saying, pursue love, pursue love, and desire spiritual gifts. And so as we look at today uh, these spiritual gifts, Paul's going to really touch on the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues and the gift of prophecy. And as J.I. Packer said, this is a study in which undue dogmatism and unwise spiritual sensitivity is, is vital. We don't, we don't want to be Uh, dogmatic concerning things that God is not dogmatic on and we want to be sensitive to how the Lord has laid things out and explained things uh, even though there's a few different views on what this could look like in the church so uh, pursue love is what uh, Paul starts out chapter 14 by saying um, what the church really needs now is love sweet love It's the only thing that there's just too little of, all right? And so pursue that uh, in the church. Eagerly pursue is how the Amplified translation puts it. Chapter 13 had this very detailed description from God of what love should look like and what love shouldn't look like. And Paul tells us pursue that love, press into that love, strive for it, pray for it, repent where you see that that love is just not existent pursue this love and while you're striving for love it's okay to have a desire for spiritual gifts as well he says desire spiritual gifts it's okay to set your heart on a spiritual gift clear back in chapter 12 verse 31 we see that we're to earnestly desire the best gifts and yet i show you a more excellent way love each other all right so yeah Love each other, pursue love, but also don't forget to fervently, prayerfully look into what your spiritual gift might be, maybe a gift that's needed in this church, and ask for uh, that spiritual gift. Uh, Clear down in this same chapter we're in, chapter 14, verse 39, he says, desire earnestly to prophesy. And we're going to see in this chapter why prophecy is so important and why we should uh, desire that it would be a gift that's used within the church today. And so he says there, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Prophecy is this. It's speaking forth inspired utterances. It's speaking forth the heart of God. Now this may include future predictions, It may be speaking forth a verse or the word of God. More details are given to us in verse 3 of what prophecy is. But but, uh, this inspired utterance, what could this be? Leon Morris says, what Paul refers to here denotes something like our preaching, but it's not identical to it. It's not the delivering of a carefully prepared sermon, but the utterings of word directly inspired by God. It's it's more, actually, than predicting the future. It's more than proclaiming a word from the Lord. It's more than powerful preaching, but rather, as Wayne Grudem says in his Systematic Theology book, he says, it's telling something that God has spontaneously brought to the mind. And that's what we see in the New Testament, that prophecy really and ultimately is, okay? You might write that in your notes, if you're taking it, or in, in this note up here, all right? Let me say that again. It's telling something that God has spontaneously brought to the mind. Prophecy is what you might call instant inspiration. It's like spiritual texting. It comes straight from God's QWER- QWERTY keypad, keypad, keyboard, or whatever, straight to you. Straight to your heart. All of a sudden, you'll have an impression that the Lord wants you to speak something forth. It's not something that's premeditated or pre-planned. The Hebrew word that's translated prophecy means to bubble up like a fountain or to tumble forth. The gift of prophecy is a message prompted by the Holy Spirit that flows from my spirit to my mind and out my mouth. It's spontaneous. It's ecstatic. It can be dramatic at times. God putting his words in my mouth and I speak them. My mouth it becomes god 's mouthpiece, Amos chapter three, verse eight declares about prophecy. A lion has roared. who will not fear the Lord God has spoken, but who can prophesy? Prophecy is a very powerful gift First Timothy chapter four fourteen Paul tells timothy don 't neglect the gift that 's been given you through the laying on of hands and through prophecy. A lot of times you'll find out what your gifts are by people with the gift of prophecy speaking into your life. When I was uh, 15 years old, my youth pastor came up to me during the service and said, Rory, I had a vision of you that the Lord I felt prompted in my heart for me to tell you. It was a picture of you uh, down in uh, Lakeview, And God had you in a ministry place where you were singing and worshiping God and you had your hands raised and you were lifting up your family with your hands being raised. And he just said, I feel like God's gonna use you in another town to be a worship leader and your whole family's gonna be used through through your position there at the church. And that's exactly what God did is my friend was obedient to speak speak that calling upon my life. Uh, Now, with that being said, Our New Testament counterparts to what the Old Testament prophets were are actually not even called prophets in the New Testament, okay? If we were going to say, look at the Old Testament prophets, look at Moses, look at Elijah, look at Elisha, they're not going to be called prophets in the New Testament, but they're going to be called apostles, all right? See, the prophets in the Old Testament, these were the guys that, that were holy men of God, and they were carried along by the Holy Spirit to write the scriptures. Now, the men that you see doing that in the New Testament, they're not necessarily referred to as prophets, but rather as Apostles, okay. It was the apostles in the New Testament that wrote down the scriptures and and uh, were carried along by the Holy Spirit to write down God's word as He breathed it out to them. Okay, uh, and so the the office of prophet that we see in the New Testament it's a little confusing, but just remember this: it's not the same exact thing as a prophet in the Old Testament. The meaning of the word prophet in the New Testament and through the Greek culture and the Greek language, it actually meant something different. It meant one who speaks on the basis of some external influence. Now you might remember when the Roman soldiers blindfolded Jesus and struck him and said, prophesy, who is it that struck you? They did not mean, hey Jesus, Speak words of absolute divine authority to us. No, rather what they meant was tell us something that has been revealed to you. And that's the difference, all right? An Old Testament prophet and an apostle in the New Testament were men who spoke words of divine authority from God. Whereas a prophet in the New Testament was someone who spoke forth something as they had a revelation given to them, something impressed upon their heart that God wanted them to speak. But by the time of the New Testament, the term prophet in everyday use often meant someone who had supernatural knowledge. Maybe they could predict the future in some way, or maybe they were just known as someone who was a spokesman, even though they didn't have any Major authority, all right? Uh, One man, Kramer, says, The Greek word for prophet simply expresses the formal function of declaring and proclaiming and making known. To the New Testament readers and to the New Testament writers, the term prophet and prophecy did not imply divine authority in their speech or their writing like they did for the Old Testament prophets. A lot of times the New Testament prophets were just ordinary Christians who spoke not with absolute divine authority, but rather they simply reported something that God had laid on their heart and brought to their mind. And I encourage you guys, look in the Bible and see if what I'm telling you is true. I always exhort and ask you to look for those things. A New Testament prophet did not speak with authority that was equal to the words of the Scripture. In other words, we read the scripture and we bow our knee to the authority of the word of God. It's a wonderful study. Why do we look at the Bible? Uh, Well, because the Bible has been breathed out by God. It's been divinely inspired by God and it's profitable for our doctrine, which means our teaching of truth, our instruction, our training, our correction and rebuking of one another. It's all right here, all right? We don't need anything else. And so when a New Testament prophet comes on the scene And might say, hey, the Bible's great, but I've got something better. And it's just as authoritative as your Bible, as your leather-bound book in your hand. We can say, you know what, sorry, but I'm going to go with the Bible first. And then I'll pray about what you have to say. And automatically, if it counters the Bible or says something, the Bible doesn't say, sorry, buddy, I'm, I'm not receiving that, all right? In Acts 21, let me give you an example. We read, and this isn't a bad example of someone who totally was a false prophet. This is a good example of how the scriptures and the Old Testament prophets are different than what a New Testament prophet or prophecy would look like. Do you guys remember in Acts 21-4 where we read of all of the disciples in Tyre speaking to Paul the apostle, telling him not to go to Jerusalem Do you remember that? They were prophets and they were telling him, don't go to Jerusalem. And what did Paul do? He went to Jerusalem, all right? Now, if those were Old Testament prophets, let's say it was Isaiah or Elisha, you know, saying, hey, don't go. A word from the Lord is telling you, don't go. I'll tell you what, Saul of Tarsus, Paul the apostle, that guy, he would say, not going to Jerusalem then, all right? But he knew that they didn't speak with the same authority that an apostle or a prophet from the Old Testament or even the word of God spoke. Or in Acts chapter 21, verse 10, we have Agabus taking Paul's leather belt, wrapping it around his hands and saying, the Jews are going to bind Paul and deliver him over to the Romans. And he prophesied that, all right? Now, this was a nearly correct prophecy but not quite. It was the Romans, not the Jews, who bound Paul, all right? This is what's called a fallible prophecy, all right? And it's the definition of this New Testament congregational prophecy that we speak of today, all right? It's reporting in your own words something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. Now, this this guy Agabus, he was very near correct and a lot of what he said was true and it happened and you know Paul did go he did get bound he was delivered but it wasn't exactly how he prophesied and so it just shows us that that as someone speaks forth what they feel the Lord is impressing on their heart it's going to be very nearly nearly true and probably even true 99 percent. but we still have got to test it and not hold it to the same degree of the written revelation of God all right we don't hold it above the Bible and we don't hold it above the apostles and the uh, Old Testament prophets who also would be um, synonymous with the writing of the Bible. So you guys, you guys there later on in chapter 14 and that we're here today in verses 29 through 38, Paul says, okay, if you've got a prophet speaking in the church, you've got to have two or three people judging them to see if the, what they're saying is true Whereas if the Old Testament prophet spoke, you didn't have people sitting there judging and testing and making sure that these things were right. Also in our same chapter we're studying today, Paul claimed an authority that was far greater than that of any prophet that was in, uh, in Corinth. Now, a problem that we have in the New Testament uh, living today, which we are living, we're living in New Testament Christianity, is many people who feel they have the gift of prophecy like to preface their prophecies with, thus saith the Lord, All right, and you just expect thunder and lightning to crash while they say it, yes, you know, Um, it's something we don't see in the New Testament, okay, we don't see the New Testament prophets speaking in this way, And sometimes this gives the impression that the words that are going to follow are God's very own words. Whereas the New Testament doesn't justify that position. Um, And even most charismatic prophets would say, Yeah, when I prophesy, I don't want anyone to actually think like, God is speaking through me and what I say is equal or greater to what we've had in Scripture. Most biblical, even charismatic prophets. Charismatics would say, No, I'm, I'm not on that same level. And so, if someone, you know, as Wayne Grudem said, there would be much gain and no loss if that introductory phrase were just kind of dropped off of our New Testament prophesying. And if someone really does feel like God is bringing something to mind that should be reported to the congregation, there's nothing wrong with saying, and and so this is for you if you feel you have the gift of prophecy, there's nothing wrong with saying, gosh, I really feel that the Lord is putting on my heart this to speak and this to share. I'm really, I'm really feeling strongly that God has something to speak to us or a similar situation that doesn't sound as forceful as a thus saith the lord all right because let me tell you this if you're saying god just said this then you better darn be sure that it happens or as i said a couple weeks ago then the old testament would say we take you outside and introduce you to a crowbar okay (laughs) deuteronomy 18 read it yourself all right to have a gift of prophecy requires waiting on the lord and listening for him and hearing and being sensitive to his promptings in our hearts. Probably what is needed most in, uh, in this church even is a strong balancing influence of, of having a heart that's like sensitive to the Holy Spirit. What's even called subjective relationship with the Lord. And I read a lot of Wayne Grudem in his theology book um, this week, and I would just quote him again. There's also an opposite danger of excessive reliance on subjective impressions for guidance, and it must be clearly guarded, guarded against. These individuals need to place more emphasis on Scripture and sinking God's sure wisdom written therein. So let me just say this. A lot of times with our, in our use of spiritual gifts, we've got people that are clear over on this end, And they're just so wanting the Holy Spirit to move in power and get the emotions rolling and let's be dramatic that they just set aside the Bible and all of the parameters for how to use our gifts and how to conduct ourselves within a corporate setting like this. That they're like, it doesn't matter, the Holy Spirit's on me, you know, or whatever. And that's like way over here on this end, all right? And then over here on this end, you've got people that are like, no, just teach me a doctrinal sermon and I don't want the Holy Spirit at all or something. And it's like, well, dude, you've messed up because... Holy Spirit is in doctrine, all right? And this is true Christian teaching. And so we don't want to be clear over here, holly, 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 you know? We don't want to be, no Holy Spirit for me, all right? We want to be balanced. We want to have, as I've said before, you know, if you have uh, too much of the Holy Spirit with none of the Word, then you're going to blow up, all right? And if you have too much of the Word with no Holy Spiritual influence, then you're going to dry up. But if you just have that right balance of Holy Spirit we want you, we believe we can be emotional in front of you, and you touch, we're tender, you touch our hearts, you use us, you're a dramatic God, you know, at the same time, oh, your word governs my life, it's the authority, we bow our knee to you, then you know what, you grow up, all right? You don't blow up, you don't dry up, you grow up. And so that's what we endeavor here at Calvary Chapel. Now, as I said, lest we meet some crowbars in our church, there is an absolute necessity For truth and for accuracy in all of our prophesying. And let's just look at Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22. It says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I've not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Okie dokie. How'd you like to have that job? I am a prophet. And I really hope everything I'm saying is true. And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has spoken or has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. All right. And so, you know, Old Testament prophecies, the the false prophet would be stoned. He would be put to death. And we see that there's not that same type of prophet office in the church today, all right? We don't have to have that fear either of of death like that. And in our church prophecies, even many of the more charismatic writers agree that we need the caution of testing everything that's spoken according to truth and according to the scripture. A man named Michael Harper, who's an Anglican charismatic pastor, says this, prophecies which tell other people what they're to do are to be regarded with great suspicion, all right? In fact, I remember as a high schooler, man, I was with a bunch of teenagers that we loved Jesus and the Holy Spirit was filling us and man, we were going out in power preaching the gospel and we also were like waiting on the Lord and praying and reading our Bible a lot and we had a lot of guys that were like in love with girls in the youth group and they'd go up to them and say, God told me I'm supposed to marry you. This happened regularly. I may or may not have been one of the... No, I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't. I kept my mouth shut. It's a good thing, too, or that crowbar. Okay. Um, All right. You know, if if someone is telling you, God is telling you to do this, then it's okay to be suspicious, to test it, to get wise counsel, to examine it according to the Bible. All right. Donald Gee is an Assemblies of God um, preacher and writer. And, uh, and would be considered on the more charismatic end of things. And he says, Many of our errors where spiritual gifts are concerned arise when we want the extraordinary and exceptional to be made the frequent and habitual. Let all who develop excessive desire for messages through the gifts take warning from the wreckage of past generations as well as our contemporaries. The holy scriptures are a lamp unto our feet, and a light unto our path. So praise God to hear an Assemblies of God writer and charismatic man say, we test it according to the word. And Donald Bridge, he's a British charismatic pastor. I didn't know there were British charismatic people ever. Just kidding. He said, do you, okay, no. do you, loom, do you luminous constantly find that God tells you to do things The illuminated are often very sincere, very dedicated, and possess of a commitment to obey God that shames the more cautious Christians. Nevertheless, they are treading a dangerous path. Their ancestors have tried it before and always with disastrous results in the long run. Inner feelings and special promptings are by their very nature subjective. The Bible provides our objective guide. And so we test everything according to the Bible. In 2 Timothy chapter 316, we read that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in all righteousness. A true prophet will never declare anything that contradicts the scriptures. In fact, in Romans 12, 6, we're told to use our gifts and to use the gift of prophecy. And as you see at the middle and and towards the end of this verse here, it says, if you have the gift of prophecy, let us use prophecy in proportion to our faith. And that doesn't mean, I've got really great faith today, so I'm just going to like... Spout off some crazy things about aliens landing in my backyard and taking me up to... Okay, like, what? I had a lot of faith. No, it means, okay, so here's the biblical faith and how we've been taught. And in proportion to that faith, you prophesy. Don't go beyond what our faith teaches and don't go below what our faith teaches. Prophesy in boldness because we have a great faith. It's a high and lofty faith, but it is a true faith. Now, false prophets, I want to say... Mark the starting point, the middle and the end of both the Jehovah's Witnesses faith and the Latter-day Saints faith and many, many others. And I want to just touch quickly on that because the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, while we were going out yesterday, I saw 10 of them at Starbucks getting ready to go out and they will be at your door and you need to know how to give a defense for the hope and the truth that is within you and hopefully to win them over to Jesus Christ, to his grace, to his salvation. The witnesses make many claims in their attempt to convert you to their faith. They profess to have the only true Christian church, to be the only true representatives of God, to have the only correct biblical teaching, and to be the only true announcers of Jehovah's coming kingdom. If they are the only true church, and if they are the only true voice of God's word, then don't you think that what they say should be absolutely true? Don't you think? Especially in their prophecies. But when it comes to predicting the future of which Jehovah's Witnesses do much of, their Watchtower magazine and organization fails miserably. I want to give you in just a minute some of the false predictions that have been made over the last over 100 years from the Watchtower organization. And if you present these to a Jehovah's Witness, they'll probably say something like, These are taken out of context or they didn't claim to be a prophet of God, or hey, the light is getting brighter and we are understanding Bible prophecy better now. And they will. Uh, and what you can do is you can uh, make a, a context of Bible prophecies to give them to check and see that it's actually right out of their literature that they hand out, and it claims to be absolute prophecy, word given from God. The 1972 Jehovah's Witness Watchtower claimed to be prophet of God by this, by saying, in in the article heading, identifying the prophet. And it says this, So does Jehovah have a prophet to help them, to warn them of dangers, and to declare things to come? These questions can be answered in the affirmative. Who is this prophet? The prophet was not one man, but was a body of men and women. It was a small group of footstep followers of Jesus Christ known at that time as international Bible students. Today, they are known as Jehovah's Christian witnesses. Of course, it is easy to say that this group acts as a prophet of God. In 1897, the prophecy was given that our Lord, and I quote, the appointed King Jesus has come back, He's here. He is now present. Okay. Then as two years went by and nobody actually saw Jesus, they modified their prophecy in 1899 to say, the battle of the great day of the Lord God Almighty, the battle of Armageddon, will end in AD 1914 with the complete overthrow of earth's present rulership. It has already commenced. And then when they found that, okay, Jesus hadn't come back, and so they modified it to say, well, actually, it's an invisible coming back, and 1914 will be the actual Armageddon, and every, oh, no, not 1914, 1916 comes, and they say, hey, the Bible chronology herein presented shows that the six great 1,000-year day beginnings with Adam are ended, and that the great seventh day, the millennial years of Christ's reign, began back in 1873, and on and on and on and so forth and so forth, many of which these prophecies say Jesus will come on this date, and I've got them written here, Jesus will come on this date, and Jesus didn't come, so they modify it, no this date, no this date, no this date, no this date. Okay guys, one, one should have been enough to say false prophecy. I'm sorry, I just don't believe you, I'm testing it. And when we give an excuse that would say, hey, our organization is still learning, light is shining on our Bible prophecy, you'd say, hey, Old Testament prophets never had that opportunity for light to shine on their prophecies, all right? Never had that opportunity. They would be taken out and stoned. Joseph Smith himself, the leader of the Latter-day Saints, had many false prophecies as well. Uh, He had a prophecy about Jesus' return within 56 years of this certain writing Uh, Jesus did not return within those 56 years when 1891 finally showed up. In his writing, Doctrine and Covenants, he had a prophecy that the temple would be built in Missouri within his very own generation. No temple was ever built in Missouri within his very generation. He had a prophecy that all of the nations of the world would be involved in the American Civil War. All of the nations of the world were not involved in the American Civil War. Uh, He had a prophecy that the earth would tremble and the sun would be hidden in not many days. That didn't take place. So on and so forth. False prophecy after false prophecy. And I don't mean to pick on Jehovah's Witnesses, nor Mormons, but I would say this. If this happened within Calvary Chapel, which oftentimes it does, some man will stand up and say, I have a thus saith the Lord, and I'm supposed to marry you, or whatever, you know, and the girl's like, "Mm -hmm," you know, and we go and we lovingly correct that individual and say, I'm sorry, that's not a word from the Lord. All right, we don't ask you to blindly follow us at Calvary Chapel of Crick County. We say you are sensible people. You all own Bibles. Open them up and learn. All right, and come and speak if you have questions or if there's something that seems unbiblical that we're teaching. Moving right along, in verse two, whatever. Think you're better than me? Okay. In verse two, and yes, I do have it planned in my notes to go all the way through the 40 verses today. Probably not going to happen. But he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Okay, so I especially desire that you may prophesy in verse 1. And then he goes on to speak about... Okay, so why? What's, why not... Why don't everybody should especially desire to speak in a tongue? Well, tongue, it's the word glossa, and it means an unknown language, an ecstatic language, uh, this gift of tongues. Uh, It's an incredible gift. It really is. We see it, its first account in the New Testament was on the day of Pentecost. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we read about it. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then as you read on in verse 5, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven, And when this sound occurred, the multitudes came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Persia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And so we have in 1 Corinthians 14 a description of what tongues is, and it correlates with the very first account of tongues being used in the New Testament. We read that there in verse 2, one with the gift of tongues does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. Now, the Corinthian church, no doubt, may have been expecting Paul to lay an axe on anyone who'd been speaking in tongues in that church. Apparently, they'd been a little prideful and a little bit out of order in their use of the gift. But Paul is going to tell us in this chapter that the issue isn't with the practice of speaking in tongues. The issue is the place and the order that they're speaking in tongues. And we see here one of the first things we need to know about the gift of tongues is that the gift of tongues does not speak to men, but to God. All right. So, in a public worship setting, say at the Pulse or something, and someone speaks out in a tongue, if someone has the interpretation to that tongue, it should not start out with, "'Thus saith the Lord.'" I have the interpretation of the tongue because that would be the Lord speaking to man, all right? If anything, that would be a prophecy, all right? Rather, an interpretation of the tongue should be something of declaring something to the Lord, a prayer to the Lord, worship to the Lord. In fact, it was there in Acts 2.11 where they said, we hear them speaking in our own tongues. Anybody remember what it said? The wonderful works of God. So whenever there's a tongue spoken forth and an interpretation of that tongue, I'll tell you what, an interpretation is really incredible because it's like someone just speaking forth this beautiful psalm that declares the wonderful works of God. Now Peter had an experience In Acts chapter 10, at Cornelius' household. Cornelius was one of the first Gentiles to be saved. Uh, He and his household, he was a Roman centurion. And in Acts chapter 44, or excuse me, chapter 10, verse 44 through 48, Peter was preaching the gospel to Cornelius' household, and the Holy Spirit fell upon everyone who heard the word. Now, notice that this didn't have some sort of chaos ensue or any sort of disorder but these individuals were uh, uh, it says those of the circumcision who believed were astonished because the gift of the holy spirit had been poured out on the gentiles for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify god okay so what is speaking in tongues it's magnifying god it's prayer towards god it's worship towards god there should never be an interpretation that says this is what the lord is saying to us all right it's just it's reverse and it's just very kindly you can say oh wonderful the lord's given you a prophecy to speak to us hold that thought all right hold that thought we want to hear what the lord is speaking to us or what you have been impressed on your heart by the holy spirit all right but but i'm sorry that's just not An interpretation to the tongue. Let's give a minute here for an interpretation of the tongue to come. Tongues is a prayer language to God. It's a worship language directed to God. The second thing that we see here in verse 2 is that no one can understand the person speaking in tongues unless he's given the interpretation. All right? Uh, The hearers on the day of Pentecost were confused. Uh, They were from all over the world and they heard these Galilean men, kind of the rednecks of their day, speaking in 18 different languages that are mentioned here. I mean, imagine if guys from Prineville just all of a sudden, it's like, how do you know Libyan? You know, or something like that. I mean, these guys were speaking and the Lord had given these other men interpretation to be able to hear it in their own language, which often happens. An interpretation, a little later on in the chapter, an interpretation may come and and someone might hear it in their own language, a language that the speaker had no idea um, how to say. Talk about that. If I'm honest, it'll be next week when we get there. Sorry. All right. All right. But no one can understand the person speaking unless God has given them the interpretation. And we see in Acts chapter 2 verse 6, when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. They were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. In verse 8 it says it was their own language that they'd been born into. Third thing to note is that tongues speaks mysteries in the spirit. We see that in Uh, verse 2 of our main passage today. Tongues speaks mysteries or secrets in the Spirit. We know from the rest of the, the scriptures that if you would turn to Mark 16, or if we just have it on the screen, I know you guys are getting lazy in your Bible turning, but that's okay, we're covering a lot of ground. Mark 16, 17 says, These signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, and they will speak with new tongues. Okay, so the gift of tongues is a sign of those who would follow Jesus. Not everybody, but some of them. Some of them will speak in new tongues. Another thing to note about the gift of tongues is not every Christian has the gift of tongues. Nor is it the sign that a person has been filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians 12.30. Do all have gift of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And if you know the chapter it's a rhetorical question. No, not everybody has every one of these gifts. If you go back about 20 verses 1 Corinthians 12:10 it says that the Lord has given out gifts, to another he gives miracles, to another he gives prophecy, to another he gives the discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. To one and the same, one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So some people have the gift of tongues because the Lord chose and willed to give that gift to that individual. Or perhaps they earnestly desired it and the Lord saw that is fit, so he distributed that gift to that individual. But if you read the book of Acts, it's observed that the gift of tongues happens to be a common sign of those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's just a common thing that we see. However, not every single person has it so they shouldn't feel guilty or any lesser of a Christian or anything like that. We each have our gifts that God has given us. Now, that's a little bit about the gift of tongues. Paul, in his writing, I'm sorry, but he's gonna kind of flip back and forth between prophecy and tongues, and that's what we're gonna do too. Hope it's not too confusing. If we go back to verse three, it says, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. So someone who's speaking in tongues, he's speaking mysteries, worshipful stuff to the Lord in his own prayer language, all right? However, prophecy, we have a few points here. Number one, he who prophesies speaks edification, all right? Prophecy is an utterance from God to men that will edify them. What's edify mean? It's a construction word for all of you contractors out there. And it means to build up. All right? It means to make people more able. And when someone speaks a prophecy, people that hear it, they are built up in their faith. Prophecies could include edifying content. In the Bible, we see some revelation about sin in people's lives. Sometimes there's predictions that take place. But as Paul says, man, we do everything for your edification. And that's what prophecy does. It edifies everybody that hears it. And two times in this chapter, if you just look down in your Bible, down at verse 12 and down at verse 26, we see that the gifts, tongues, and prophecy should be used to build other people up. I'm sorry, Christian. It's not all about you You are not the focus. Your experience with God, it's about building up the people around you. We see also in verse 3 here that prophecy is spoken exhortation from the Lord. Exhortation means encouragement. It's kind of like spurring your horse on, spurring somebody on. It means to earnestly request or encourage someone, which we also see is a gift of the Spirit. And the Bible tells us that we're to exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Every day, the book of Hebrews says, we should be exhorting one another to follow hard after God. And so prophecy is spoken uh, edification. It's spoken exhortation. And thirdly here, it's spoken comfort to men. The gift of tongues is to men. From God, I'm sorry, the gift of prophecy, as if that didn't confuse you enough. The gift of tongues is to God, and we see here in verse 3, the gift of prophecy is from God to men. And for these edifying reasons, Paul told the Thessalonians, do not despise prophecies. As we move on in the chapter in verse 4, He who speaks a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. All right, so another point to note here is tongues edify as the one who is speaking it. Even if they don't understand what they're saying, they are edified. All right, in Jude chapter 20, it says, Beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And you might know, you could attest that if you have the gift of tongues, when you are just crying out to the Lord, you don't even know what to say, and you just step out in faith and let your spirit make utterance for you, then you just know, man, you are encouraged, you are built up, you know the Lord hears you, and you are encouraged in that. Romans 8.26 speaks to this, where it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts know what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, it's debatable if this verse is only speaking about the gift of tongues. But what can be said is oftentimes Christians don't know how they should pray. They don't know how to pray. They don't have the words to speak. And so they speak out in their prayer language that God's given them. They pray out in the gift of tongues. And the Holy Spirit knows what they are uttering. One Irish reformer said, When prayer reaches its highest point, words aren't enough. Those who pray in tongues are encouraged because sometimes they just don't know what to pray. They don't know how to pray. So they pray out in tongues. Just It's them and the Lord or it's them and their interpreter and, and a body of believers. But they're edified when they do it. If you would jump down to verse 18 real quick, Paul says this. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Does it say that Paul would be someone that like, has a sour grapes flavor in his mouth about the gift of tongues? You do that? Oh, oh, it's so stupid, you know. You don't even know what you're saying, you idiot, you know. That's a lot of Christian reasoning. It's like, I just don't get it, so don't do it. You know, it's like, hey, sometimes we don't get what we're doing in Christianity. We look in the Bible, tells us to pray for someone to be healed. I don't know how it works, but I'm going to jump out in faith and I'm going to do it, all right. But he says, hey, I thank God I pray in tongues more than all of y'all. In verse 19, He says, yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I might teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Why did Paul feel this way of about prophecy over tongues? I mean, think of that ratio though, five to 10,000. It's a pretty big ratio. Hello, how are you today? All right, five words, okay, of encouragement to somebody is better than 10,000 of that. Think about that. That's pretty big. That's what Paul's saying here. Tongues, wonderful gift. Excellent. Totally edifying to the one speaking it. Has its right place. But comparatively, in the church, it says, that's what matters, in the church, prophecy is more necessary and more needed. And if you jump back to verse 5, and we are almost done, okay? He says, I wish you all spoke with tongues. That's awesome. I wish you all spoke with tongues. The ESV says, Now I want you all to speak in tongues. Or the NIV. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. Tongues is a wonderful gift. It's a beautiful way to worship God and to pray. It really, really edifies the speaker I wish you all spoke with tongues. Do you think that that's a stance that a pastor should have? I wish that you all spoke with tongues. It is. As a pastor that has the gift of tongues and uses it decently and in order and according to scriptural parameters, I'll tell you this. I'm so encouraged. I'm so built up. I'm so edified. There are many times in my ministry and in my life when I don't have the words to pray. I don't know what to pray but I wanna be obedient to pray. And so I pray in this prayer language, all right? And, uh, and there's times I've done it in public and there's been no interpretation. I just say, hey, that's okay. I'm gonna be quiet now, like the, like the chapter says later on. Don't hold out on me though if you've got the interpretation, all right? But I'll tell you this, man, there's been times when my dad died and I was grieving, I was in sorrow of heart. I didn't know what to pray. I prayed out in tongues. I just cried out to the Lord. Trusting, as Romans 8 says, the Lord knows. The Lord knows what I'm saying. Stepping out in faith that, hey, I don't know why God created the gift of tongues. Seems kind of silly to me. Why not something else? you know? But believing he did. Paul says, I want you all to speak in tongues. Does everybody speak in tongues? No. Does everybody have the gift? No. Is it the only sign of someone who has the Holy Spirit? No. If you asked for it, that you might be edified in your private prayer time? I think that the Lord would answer that. I think that he would. I would encourage you to cry out to the Lord for this gift. Some people might disagree. That's okay. That's okay. This is just my position, is that tongues is available for every Christian. Not everybody has it, but that it's available. And it's that gift that edifies the individual. It's that one gift that edifies the individual and I believe that it would be available for you today. So, if you desire to grow deeper in your prayer life, be more of a prayer warrior for the church, be more of a worshiper, worshiper uh, you might consider asking the Lord for that gift. Later on in the chapter that we're not going to get to today, he says, you know what? If you speak in tongues, desire to interpret tongues as well. And I'll tell you, for the last probably 15 years, I've earnestly desired the interpretation of tongues. And... Uh, I'm not sure I have it all the time right now. I think I have had an interpretation before, but not regularly. It's it's one of those gifts that I earnestly desire, like verse uh, 31 of chapter 12 says. And, uh, And so what I would say to you is, as Paul continues on and says, hey, I desire, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in the tongue, unless indeed he interprets. So the interpretation is is very edifying, very great. It's just not always there, all right? But it's so the church may receive edification. And my last point for today, prophecy is greater. It's more important than tongues, unless there's an interpretation, because in our church gathering setting, the corporate gathering, everybody is edified by a prophecy, Whereas if there's a word of tongue, no one even knows what the heck you're saying. And that's what we'll get into next week. The necessity of interpretation of tongues within the church. We'll close our Bibles today and have the worship team come on up. So what? (laughs) So what? Big dealio. Hey, here's the thing. God is a giver of gifts. He gave us The most indescribable, amazing gift we could ever ask for in his son, Jesus Christ, coming and laying down his life, pouring out his blood to save us from our sins. Praise God. We love him for it. We're thankful for it. And for some reason, he ascended into heaven and sent the third person of the Trinity named the Holy Spirit to come and be with us. And in his infinite sovereignty and knowledge, he said, you know what, it's better that I ascend so that the Holy Spirit can come with you and be upon you and empower you and give you gifts. That when you are using these gifts, the rest of the body of Christ is built up and encouraged and, and man, we're made more of what we're to be, more of what the Lord desires us to be. And so if you have the gift of tongues, you've been given that so that you personally might be edified and and walk in more of what God desires for you. If you've been given the gift of prophecy, you've been given that so that you not keep it to yourself. Oh, I like to prophesy by myself in my closet. Oh, you know, nope. Ask for the gift of tongues if you want something like that. All right. Prophecy is for the church that we might be built up together. And we'll get into more of this all next week. But let me just say this. God, the giver of gifts, wants to give you a gift today or has given you a gift. Now, if you come in here and you're not a Christian and you don't know Jesus, you need to receive the first and most important gift of Jesus Christ and forgiveness of sins. And you can receive it by faith today, like a little child that just says, yes, I want that Christmas present. You know, yes, I want salvation. I want to go to heaven and not hell. And yes, I want to be born again. And yes, I want all that you want for me, God. Thank you. I put it on right now. You know, all right. That's the first gift for you today. Receive that. Secondly, he's got even more, more exciting, wonderful things for you to use in this church so that we would be built up and be able to go out and advance God's kingdom. It's an exciting thing. All right, more on it next week. Too much to do today. We got five verses.